Welcome to the Pitching Command Show, brought to you by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Visit commandtracker.com. Hey, joining today's podcast is my good friend Kelly Ahrens, the general manager of Ballparks America and Show Me Baseball, and founder of Test and Train Sports. Welcome, Kelly. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Hey, Wayne. Excited to be here, man. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. Uh, the last time we spoke, uh, we were talking about my command trackers, and I was amazed how many people you knew that are developing some really good baseball tech. And I, I thought I'd like to start the show and kind of talk about some of those guys that were doing some really good things. Yeah, well, first would be you, man. Uh, really love the oh, command tracker and very attracted to that and everything that it does. And we're going to be buying one here for ballparks here soon. Um, I think it provides us with a lot of benefit with the development features that we're doing. You gave me you know, good detail on that. I've studied it. I've looked at it, showed it to multiple people. Everybody really, you know, understands it and likes it. And right now we're, we're engineering our tech center and, and layout. So I don't know how we're going to lay our existing location and how it was the arcade. We're relocating the arcade on campus here and are going to have about 3,500 square foot dedicated to all the technology partners. Um, so I don't know exactly how it's going to be set up yet. So we got to determine that and then, you know, finish that engineering, but, uh, we're looking at a uh, very high volume use of it. I think it'd probably be the most use anywhere because we have such, you know, large at 2000 people a week, you know, coming through wow. here and uh, it's, it's ongoing. They spend the night on campus and all that. So it would give them a chance in between games, before games, after games, before bed, when they get up, you know, opportunities to come in and do stuff. So we're going to experiment and, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd offer to you, like we would all the technology partners, uh, the ability to learn the implementation and how can you maximize the use of that? And I would you know, venture to say that um, without the options of a facility like this, you're kind of limited in testing and uh, you know, R&D of use within a facility or within a high school program or college program or club team. And so I think you know, my goal is to expose the use of it to where people understand the benefits and really understand this, you know, a, not a, an expensive product for what they're, they're doing now. Something that's very affordable, uh, but very uh, informational and good for development. So it's, yeah. it's going to take time to teach people how to coordinate a team practice and how all the pitchers come in and spend five minutes, right? So, all right, here's, here's our, Six pitchers, you're going to start at this time, you know, 8 p.m., then 8.15, and just structure that within the confines of a, of a workout or a practice. Uh, and if, if they do that and they implement that within their practice schedules, it would absolutely empower their pitching is going to improve. It's going to, it's going to, yeah, it's going to make a huge difference on the pitchers because they don't normally practice that. Now, we, we've sold the target to uh, – we now have uh, three major league teams that have bought it. We have some big colleges that bought it, uh, Louisiana Tech, DBU, and had some facilities like um, a Kinetic Pro in Tampa and uh, Total Arm Care in New Jersey. You know, years ago when they had the smart cage, 20 years ago, and it had everything in it in one cage. Incredible concept. Brilliant people that put all that together. 
the problem was the actual implementation and how do you use it. They they were looking at a 45 minute test and only one person at, at a time in a cage. So, you know, these facilities and when you're renting space and you're trying to uh, maximize use of an hour and a half or two hour practice, you got to be really tight in managing that schedule and, and you got to be able to incorporate your product with it, you know, as well. Yeah. One team, one major league team I won't mention that uh, suggested uh, that multiplayer mode that we have in it because they wanted to be able to kind of track their guys when they're warming up, getting ready for the bullpen. Uh, now that turned out to be like, uh, uh, they used that kinetic pro and also at total arm care with their pitches where they create kind of like a competition. So it's not just warming up. They're actually competing and getting a score. So what happens is you wind up having a lot of pitchers use it at the same time. They get to compete against each other. So they get bragging rights that they win. And, uh, that's another good example of trying to maximize time on the mound with the same tech, right? Yeah, I mean, just one of many, like you said. And I yeah. know I've had multiple conversations of when you say warming up, well, how what is a warm up? How many pitches is that for you? How many is that for yeah. me? How many is too many? And uh, spent some time talking with Lonnie Alameda at Florida State uh, about uh, Catherine Sandercott and uh, her pitch. And I, I asked her, how many pitches do you throw? you know, pregame. And she goes, I have no idea. And then within two minutes, she went through her routine, exactly what she did. And she was one of the top pitchers in all of college softball and has been. It's because she had a routine, right? And it was a good routine and, and it worked. Every so. good pitcher's got, yeah, every good pitcher's got a routine and every kid right. learning to pitch has to learn his own routine that's uh, going to work for him, right? And it's just like how many swings is enough to get loose? How many is too many? Uh, you know, when do you start losing the ability to duplicate a good swing? And we tested that through the hitter handicap and found that 15 swings is that number. And that if more than 10 swings in a row, you start to diminish your swing ability to duplicate. So it starts to diminish after 10. And that, those are standards and average that we found in our testing. And from a pitching perspective, with the pitcher handicap, which we're still, you know, working on, uh, and your product would allow the quant to quantify that. And so in quantifying that, um, it's not just velocity, right? It's it, when, when does the accuracy diminish? And so, you know, obviously when you look at uh, a younger kid, you know, versus an older kid, and the effort they're putting forth from a max effort or, or uh, a more uh, fruitful uh, approach. Uh, some people may be ready in eight pitches, some may be ready in 20, you know, and, and, ev and everybody's different. And then that, what is the pre-pitch, meaning the, uh, what are you doing as far as to get loose physiologically? What are you doing? Are you doing any neuromuscular warmups and with your legs and your arms. And so what does that pay? So there's a ton that goes into it. And although that's not uh, the physiological part isn't measured by yours device, but that device gives you an idea of uh, the up oh, that must have been too long of a warm up or too much of a warm up or just enough warm up. Because if you can duplicate pitches in location and velocity uh, and that variance is tight, the tighter that variance is, the better you're doing at prepping you know, yeah, for your outing. In, in, in my first book at the end, I wrote a chapter about some ideas. And one of them was the idea of uh, pitchers 
uh, developing a more refined routine in between innings. And I was saying that if they did it in a way to reduce the amount of pitches by two or three, over three innings or four innings, they can they actually can pitch another inning. You know, so uh, you know I thought that's a, a good way to kind of fine tune your routine so you can maximize how far you could go in the game. You know, and I I would say no one thing uh, is the end all be all, but all of those little things added up together makes the difference. Absolutely, and, that's and, what this show is. That's what this show is about. It's like the reason that I, I wanted you on was because everyone's always going about velocity, how to throw harder. And and I, I believe that you need to throw hard, but I also know you need command, you need movement, you need character, you need all sorts of things to go along with that to be successful. And you wrote uh, some article in LinkedIn about that. And I, I thought you wrote that very well. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, again, all these tools and devices, and I'm, I'm, on a learning quest, you know, trying to learn as much as I can. And you really can't uh, quantify things until you get specific devices. And so, you know, to that point, uh, this is the caught stealing device developed by Matt Sariani. And um, as a catcher and, and teaching catching years ago, I use alternative methods to validate um, efficiency. And what I, what I did was and timing catchers throw into second base, really it was as simple as getting their velocity. So I'd say, okay, we do 10 throws uh, and we do five at a time. And I'd say, all right, these five, you know, here we go. Give me your, your best throws. And so we would get the velocity and we would get the time. So you could get the pop time and you could get the velocity. And then the second round, all right, this one, don't worry about, I don't want you just only to focus on your release. Just get rid of it as quick as you can. Doesn't really matter where the ball goes. Don't care how hard you throw it. And in every instance with every player, the velocity was always greater that second round. And so when they were fine. So now this, this device gives you those specifics and exact transfer. And I was giving you transfer and, and release and time to your target. And it gives you the velocity on each one while you can video and watch it. So now as a catcher training, I can see it. Man, when I try easier, it's better. I was looking at that and I thought it was really good because one of the things I've always thought about uh, pop times was that if the second baseman has to, or shortstop has to reach up above his head to catch the ball and come down, well, that pop time is a lot shorter, right? All those factors. And, you know, so Matt, I've shown him your device. He's coming this weekend to do a catcher's camp. And we can, we figure out, we can put this device on yours. So as soon as the ball is thrown, and we, we're use, we use Fungo Man machines, so we got the top robotic, uh, you know, instruments to be able to deliver the ball consistently, right? So it's the same. You got people getting the same rep or as close to the same rep as you can possibly duplicate from the time it hits until the time it hits your device. So we're going to be able to measure to your point if it's at the knee, that's the ideal situation on the throw, right? Well, well now, and, now what you can do too is some guys have used my target on second base, you know, just to the right of it. So they're not only measuring the catcher's throw to second base, but how accurate. And you and they can turn the you can put the target on its side, it still works. And now you can get a command throwing to second to throw out the runner at second. To, right? to that point, you know exactly is throw with the knees is going to be your ideal. So if it's a foot yeah. above that, that's not really a, a one nine. That's really a two zero because 
the time it takes for him. So this device captures that. Right. So, so, the, so the that accurate, that accuracy piece, again, if you're overthrowing and you throw it in the, you know, the second baseman catches it head high, that's not applicable, you know, in, in a right. game situation. So with that caught stealing, they're going to measure the pot time, the release time, the time to get to that point on the target. And then based upon where it landed on target, they'll subtract some kind of time. What would you call that? It's not a transfer. What's the time to go down to tag the runner? It's directional movement, you know, so it's it's not a forced play, right? So I have to carry that a certain distance. And there's algorithms yeah. you can put in there that dictate that. So the, the cost stealing app gets, it fits 130 feet as the throw because you're behind the plate. You're releasing the ball behind the plate. So these right. throws that are in the showcases that are showing one eights, one sevens that are really two O's, they're yeah. throwing it, you know, the three foot differential there. So it can say that ball only traveled 125 feet, let's say, when it has to travel 130. It's 127, you know, three and three eighths from the corner, but you're behind the plate when you receive it. And when you throw it, you're not stepping out in front of the base to throw it in the game situation. So yeah. all those things now where you're looking at apples, the apples. So devices like yours, like Matt's, and the methodology, it's, it's not necessary as much as the test it's all of it it's the testing so you can train correctly so you can develop correctly so what is your emphasis on throwing a ball to second base as hard as you can and so you know in as a catcher's routine and using your product the example is accuracy so you should work up you can't practice it 100 percent. if you're throwing at 100 percent, your mechanics are going to fall so you want to you know yield that down so that you can ramp up and your last two or three throws should be your best throw, not your first two or three. Yeah, I always I always talk about command as being a multiplier. And so if you're a pitcher, I think it multiplies the effectiveness of your pitches, your movement and your speed. But now for a catcher like you're talking about, it's also a multiplier because if he's accurate and commands that throw to second base, it's going to multiply his pop time and his release velocity uh, and be even more effective, right? Efficient, less chance of injury, consistency, uh, all the things. It's, you know, we're, we all naturally try too hard. That's the big, everybody does, you know, and the athletes who succeed at a very high level learn to manage that. They throttle that correctly and they, they can throttle that when they need to. So that's breathing, that's slowing down everything. That's, that's a, a professional trait that they learn and your skill set is secondary to that, right? It's all important, but if you can't manage those things and you get, you know, it's, it's not football, you can't get all jacked up, you know, and just throw it as hard as you can and anticipate that unless again, especially if you got to go back out there the next inning. Um, so all, all those factors come into play. Yeah, and what you were talking about on the second throw of your your players before, I told people on the show once about when I started uh, working with my son on baseball, at the time he wanted to play third base. I hadn't played baseball since, like, you know, Little League. So I went out to the plate, and I'm going to be the big man. I'm the big dad. I'm going to hit the ball. I'm just going to hit it over the fence, showing the big dad can really hit it. And when I muscled up to it and hit it, I barely got it over the infield. And then finally, after like three hits, I figured, oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to lightly hit it. And now I was lightly hitting it. And without any effort, they were flying over the, over the fence. And that was a lesson to me that, like you said, loose muscles are fast muscles. Like when you tighten up and you really 
muscle up something, it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, and, and I would point out there are there is value in everything. And I'm not for or against anybody or any one product. Uh, yeah. I would support my view with, uh, you know, data-driven support on what I've been involved with. Uh, there's tons of good experience out there that pro provides feedback. But when you, when you look at um, testing and let's say the value of running and gunning, there is value to that. So you can measure yeah. capacity. However, you, don't, you shouldn't train that way. Right. So I think some people say on one, one end of the spectrum say, why would you do that? He's throwing the ball as hard as he can, whipping his head around and looking at whatever the velocity is. Well, that was the test. You know, well, I think there's, but, I think there's, I think there's value in that as part of training, like just exactly. to kind of get it, it, out. It has to be. It's know? the test, you know, and are, yeah. are you getting better? Where, where are things trending? Where are things going? What's your capacity? Right. It's only, but it's like you're saying, it's only one part of your developing as a pitcher. Then you have command, you have movement training, you have all sorts of other parts you train. You know? Right. And that's very specific and very limited. And that would tell you the results of your product. That will mm -hmm. tell you the results of proper training. And it's all about yeah. being able to make adjustments and training on an ongoing basis. So we, through our athlete management system and in college, I'm you know still coaching college softball. We manage pitchers, our pitchers rules, number one. A perfect outing is no walks and no strikeouts. That's my perfect outing. And I want to throw, you know, pitches that are 30, I want to throw 30% total pitches less than our opposing team. And, and I just looked at all that and said, we can win if we do that. And so we don't, oh, two, we're not wasting pitches. One, two, we're going right at hitters. Just looking at the data. Now, is it a three-hole hitter, four-hole hitter? There's always situations where you say, well, I wouldn't do this. And I agree. But just in simplicity, in general standards, the correct approach uh, in the way you practice and the way you approach it, simplifying it is going to yield you a lot better results, you know, long term. Yeah, and I, I think just not walking any batters is huge. That that alone. And then uh, when you're throwing in the zone, well, at the lower levels, you can kind of get by doing that. But as you start going up, the guys who can command it and locate it and make make two pitches out of the same pitch by doing that, they start getting separated. I think if they train early doing that, uh, then they can make the transition up into college and the pros. Like uh, my son, when we started baseball, the very first time we were throwing to a target, I had a handmade version of what I'm selling now. So he always trained to a target of five by seven squares and working on command. So as he went up in levels, it became second nature. Uh, other guys just throwing into the, the side of a barn, they now have to relearn. They have to learn that skill later on in life, and it's harder, you know. Well, you know, that example you gave with your son's personal experience, but who was the, you know, the super stud pitcher this year? Jordan Montgomery. He played at South Carolina. Jerry Myers was his pitching coach, and they never focused on velocity, ever. It was all exactly the same things you're saying. He's throwing harder yeah. now than he did at 18, oh, 19, 20. Well, same thing with my son. He was drafted throwing 89. He can hit 94, 95 now because the Yankees got great training. But, uh, again, it was that, like you said with Jordan, it's not about just throwing the hardest. It's about pitching. And that's what I saw in the post you were talking about, too. Right. 
So, yeah, but it's, you know, it's about what's sexy too, you know, and I would say to your point, uh, what my view of it is and identifying where everybody is, you can be skillful at 10, 12, 16, 18, 20, or you cannot be skillful. And you're cursed by your talent set. The better the talent set, the worse you're cursed because you are able to get by with things, being able to muscle things, and you're just a bigger, stronger athlete. The smaller athletes learn better skill sets because they have to be focused. They have to have a better approach to compete with the guys who can have more margin of error. So grip strength dictates the world. Broad jump dictates everything. Those are the two key elements, period. And when you look at, uh, well, you know, when you do the capacity testing that we do, you can tell that young kid that's 16, let's say a 16-year-old, who's really 19 or 20, based upon his metrics and realize his capacity is limited. Then you can take a, another 16 year old who's really 13, as far as, you know, he's still skinny, hadn't hit puberty to, you know, a later period than the, than the other guy. So all that's meaningful in form of the development, but you sure yeah. don't want to be focused on throwing hard at 13, 14, 15, 16, right. While your body, your, you know, growth plates are still, open and all those things you don't want to focus you shouldn't train with that intention it'll come it'll come later but if you learn how to get outs you learn how to pitch at 13 14 15 16 go under bat speed i always love my favorite thing is a coach and play the best teams with younger kids especially it's easier the older kids and bring in under bat speed guys i want unless i don't want just under bat speed i want a lot under bat speed if you can hold runner zone and you play defense Guess what? You're going to get ground balls and, and frustration. And then the players start beating their bat on the ground. They pop it up, hit it straight, you know, into the ground. And then the coach is screaming at them, stay back. And then they're fighting in the dugout about how this pitcher sucks. But that guy wins the game. You're in a chance to, to win a game. The other well, guy who's throwing 140, he's at 87 pitches in the third inning. He's had the bases loaded three times. And he's done. And he's, he's created damage for himself. So – um, I think ultimately, um, you know, at higher levels, they appreciate that and understand it. And you can tell them that, but it's still about, you know, if, if I hit that number. Now, I'm going to give you an example. I was at uh, junior college regional playoffs two years ago, and I was sitting in the stands, sitting next to a coach. And uh, good teams, well, I made it to the College World Series. Um, but pitcher threw three innings. He left. It was seven to two. Okay, and he came out of the game wild all over the place. He comes in, meets with the other guys, charting the pitches, and, oh, man. So he picks up the phone and calls whoever, dad, whoever it was. Oh, man, dude, I hit my PR today. I hit 93 today. You know, and he's tickled to death. And they're in the playoffs. They're losing seven to two. And he oh. got my, I got my PR today. And that right there, that is where we're at. That's that, that, it's, I it's did an episode. I did an episode this morning with uh, the double-A pitching coach for the Yankees, and we were talking about that very same thing, that uh, too often guys, especially as they get into uh, pro ball, start chasing the metric. They want to try to get the most break, the most spin, the most below, and they forget that the job of a pitcher is to get out without giving up runs, right? So you got to start there, and then you got to say, well, what tools do I have that can do that? If it is, if it means more velo or more spin, whatever, that's okay. As long as you're using your tools that you have towards that goal, right? 
Yeah, it's you can just go into an academy and watch and see what happens. And players today, they walk in, they don't walk in and stretch and and do neuromuscular training and, and, be injured. and do all that. They walk straight, they pull their bat out and they start hitting right away. That's all they do. They, they just start swinging the bat. And that's you know a perfect indication of they think more swings is better and more is not better. When you when you don't no. know, Bill, Bill Gavet, a good buddy of mine, I learned a ton from. He phrased that. It's just awesome. He just cracked me up. He's like, yeah, when you don't know, more is better. And yeah. that that is the world we're in. Yeah, they try to right. throw more, do you know, do all those things. So that's a perfect indication of a lack of understanding of getting outs is why we're here. You know, I remember that the first year my son was playing, uh, he was a pitcher, and we would go down to the workouts for this uh, summer team. And eventually we didn't go to them anymore. But uh, I would sit there and I'd watch all the batters go in the cage. And about 20 guys would go in there and uh, they were all just practicing the same bad swings over and over. Then I was watching in the cage next to them. There was a guy named Keith Osick. He was a catcher for, I think, the Pirates. He lives here. And I was watching him and his batters would come in. He would have them do drills and everything. About 15 minutes into the thing, the guy still had to hit a ball yet. Then when the guy started hitting the ball, you saw, wow, the guys that worked with Keith would just boom, bang, bang, like hit. He actually worked on them developing their skill, whereas the other guys were just going to the cage, practicing the bad, same bad swing over and over and graining it, you know. Yeah, good point. You know, and I, I see that the same in fielding. We just had Trent Mongero and the Dirt Bros infield camp here. Oh, he's off. Awesome. Trent is and, awesome. And you know, they didn't touch a baseball for the. It was it was amazing. I mean, if you can't move your feet, you don't know how to move your body. It don't matter. You know, the the glove side of it. So, uh, in hitting, you know, Coach Pete Barrios, one of the best hitting guys out there. He's got a PVC portion, which is more of the physiological development to prepare your body to be able to swing and duplicate. You know, those those things are done where you can have great hitting instruction and you haven't picked up a bat or swung at a baseball yet because if you, your body can't do the movements uh, that needs to be done. Why are you training? Why are you foregoing that to work on a swing that your body can't, you know, produce? So same things with pitching, you know, and I, I look and, and watch a lot of that. And I think, seeing pitching lessons is really unique. And there's some guys that are a lot better than others at it. And the guys that are a lot better than others, if, if you're doing pitching lessons and your pitcher just threw 75, 80 pitches in your lesson, I don't, I don't think no, you no, quite understand no. the purpose of a pitching lesson. And then they, they play the next day or they played the day before and, and or they're kind of practice, terrible. you know, so th those are the things that when you don't know more is better. Yeah. Well, what, what what we had done early on, we didn't know anything about baseball, me or Sean. Uh, but what I did is I took an iPad, and every time he threw, I took from the side three times he would throw, I'd record it. Then we would stop and we'd review the iPad, how he moved, where the ball hit, what the velo was. And we kind of did very slow like that. It was like, you know, throw, measure, throw, measure. And uh, I didn't cue him too much on his movement. I kind of let him find what worked for him, meaning that uh, I was talking to Ron Wolferth at 
uh, the Texas baseball ranch about this. And he said, what you did was, uh, he called it organic deliver, uh, organic, uh, uh, training, meaning that I didn't cue him to throw a certain way. I figured let him find the way that he's going to do it best. And we'll then go work off of that. So he developed his own style. You know, I think too many times, uh, pitching coaches try to develop pitchers to throw the same way, but guys aren't built the same way, you know? No one person. I mean, they're, they're all different. No two yeah. people uh, deliver the ball the same way. And, you know, grip strength is different and broad jump is different. And what that means is their structure, their capacity. So like a, a Volkswagen bug, you're not going to pile on a 10,000-pound trailer and haul that across the country. Uh, yeah. But a Ford F-350, you'd be able to do that. So everybody's not built the same way. So your approach needs to fit who you are, what your strengths are, uh, et cetera. And, you know, Wayne, what's, what's interesting with uh, the numbers and the data, and I did a post on this, how much information we're getting. Um, and to think of a, somebody training, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever they are, you know, tunneling and all these other things, it's awesome. And I mean, the depth of what can be delivered is awful, but it shouldn't even be shown at a younger level, 9, 10, 11, 12, where they haven't mastered. So there should be a heart. Like I can't go in uh, to Harvard and give them my transcript and then allow me to start taking classes if I'm not qualified to do that. I, I couldn't get into Harvard. I admit that. So why are pitchers focused and worrying on the last, these other things before they learn the basics of you know, pitch right. sequencing, it's, it's like, uh, changing it's speeds, like, et cetera? Yeah, it's like before you work on command, you have to have control. All right, then you could start working on command. And then command, you have different areas of command. There are bigger areas and go to smaller and smaller and smaller. So, yeah, you're right. There's kind of a, a prerequisite for them to – be able to work on certain things. You know? and, and I'll say to add to that, and what we do is you have to understand the physiological impact of where they are. And to throw with more velocity, you can't do that without in, improving your broad jump. So you want to increase your velocity, improve your broad jump, period. Then you can't mm -hmm. sustain command and control without grip strength. So physiologically, it's just like hitting. And I've done tons of things in front of a lot of people where we had an Olympic player, softball player, was sitting in front of a track man and uh, had, could not, lefty could not hit the ball the other way. And there was a bunch of pro scouts and coaches working with her trying to do it, and then they yelled for me to come over there. And we trained with grips. We put two-inch grips on. And uh, so I had her cross grip, trained with grips for 30 swings, and then like six out of the 10 swings she hit were all opposite line drives. And the point of that is it's like the tread of the tires of your car. If you fill this one up at 36 pounds of pressure and this one up at 30 pounds of pressure, you can still get to where you're going. But the wear and tear, the performance, all those things are going to be impacted by that. And if your grip strength, the differential in that, especially like with hitting, right, when you're out of balance, you don't have that balance, you cannot execute command. When you get to the command part, the only way to do that is to improve the cognitive aspects of grip and increase your grip so that they can sustain that. When you're yelling, stay on top of the ball as an example, that's not a mechanical issue. That's fatigue setting in. That's the lack of the ability to sustain that. And there's tons of things that we've worked on uh, with the wrist widget and Wendy, Wendy 
uh, Maderos and the ergonomics of being able to sustain the proper mechanics. And that is all into nutrition. We do a weight bearing wrist strength test, which tells you the health of basically your tendons and ligaments. And there's so many easy things you can do that are going to impact that player. So if his man, he does good till the fifth and then he loses it. Okay, well, why do he do good to the, why is he losing it? It's a physiological issue probably. Some mental, I mean, obviously there's, you know, mental issues and things like that, which Dr. Tom Hansen and his um, play big baseball and how to coach me and all that's amazing. And, and the mental MRI can dictate that. But when you look at the simplicity of what you just discussed in that, there there's certain steps. And as you're behind in age and all of a sudden you have a big growth spurt, you're going to be able to do things pitching-wise that you weren't able to do before. Don't try to do that before your body's ready and before you're ready. It doesn't make sense to try to work on velocity today, Absolutely. go to velocity camp, and you can't throw – you have no command or no control. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, like you had with that test and train sports, uh, before you go into DBU, uh, when you go there, the first thing they do is they assess you, your mobility, strength, everything else. Uh, when you go into pro ball – First thing to do every year, they assess your mobility and your strength. And that's so they can they can tailor the workout program for you where you need to have work done. And that's critical because, like you said, otherwise you got a guy trying to do something that he's not capable of doing yet. Yeah, and, you know, to that point, um, we you know, I could talk forever on this. This is fun. Uh, that's all right. But, you know, the, the key that's to why, that is, is – That's why I wanted – that's why I wanted to have you on because when we had that conversation, I guess a few weeks ago, I, I was amazed uh, your depth of knowledge on a lot of things, especially tech. Well, guys like you, I try to learn from, man, this, this amazing what's out there. And if you take time to sort through stuff and learn what's easy to you is not as easy to other people to understand. So I bring, I, I bring a lot of value because I dummy things down, you know, and if I can understand it and anybody can, and that's, when people talk about things and I'm, I have a hard time grasping it and I'm assuming people like me or, you know, and there's a lot of me, a lot of the people who are just, you know, low level type players. I will just tell you this. Um, and we, we've got some case studies that we did uh, using our athlete management system. And what I'll, I would challenge anybody. And I've, I've had multiple doctors, et cetera, physiologists, everybody's sports scientists. I'm not sure what a sports scientist is, but, the reality is if you don't make real-time adjustments every day, there's no program that works. And, you know, programming these things that, hey, here's a six-weeks program or eight-week program or four-week program or two-week program. If you're not adjusting program every day for every player based upon how they feel, their sicknesses, their roll their ankle, their tenant, all that stuff. And so we track that. We've done it. I've done it at multiple colleges we're doing it at our junior college now. Every day they complete a daily survey. I call Coach Pete, say, hey, Pete, you gotta, you gotta take the foot off the gas for a little bit. We need some more recovery today. My friend Casey Mulholland at Kinetic Pro in Tampa makes this awesome sleeve that tracks workload. They have an app, I think they call it KP Connect. And Casey was talking about, he has this philosophy he calls T3, where he talks about arm health. And he says, that arm health is really made up of three categories, workload, strength, and mechanics. He said they belong in that order. It's cool what he and KP are doing, trying to quantify all those three things to best understand how they mitigate injuries. 
uh, I think it's very important. And that's part of it too. But to your point, if the, you're not, you can't just dictate, you got to receive and you got to listen to your players. You got to listen to what they're saying. So you, with, with this process, if you take a completely objective approach and what I do is I just look at the numbers, I immerse myself and saying, Hey, they did this type of leg workout today. Okay. So I go through 30 players and I look and Wayne is really sore, more sore than everybody else. Okay, and then I look at uh, Johnny, and Johnny's not sore at all. Okay, and I got 28 other people who are about the exact same and what their response is to what happened. Well, Wayne is that hardworking dude that busted his ass and put in the work. And I can tell you right now, his profile would prove that. The other person who didn't have any soreness, are they in that much better shape than everybody? Or were they dogging it and not doing the work? So we can hold them accountable. And it worked. You can't cheat it if you do it every day, right? And if you look at it from that objectivity. And so when players say things like, oh, Coach, well, I'm tired. Well, I didn't see it on your report, right? And then what is pain? A pain to a catcher, right? Maybe a two, where to a position player, maybe an eight. There's bones sticking out of players. And they're like, oh, let's you know, tape it up and we're ready to go. And then there's a scratch mark on some. We can quantify that. We know, oh, let's don't get alarmed about Wayne. He's the hypochondriac with that. And we and we know by the means of what's happening is this workout did this of these 30 people, why would it impact him differently? You know, well, so I see well, I do see at the college level, like top top D ones and definitely the pro levels, they they all do that. They monitor the guys every day, they're doing that. Now on other colleges, they don't have the time and the budgets, or maybe they don't know have your program with your uh uh, test and train uh, that 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 athlete tracking system uh, to do that. You know, it it fits every budget. Um, I can show you how it works. We we, you know, and again, um, I, what I'd argue with. I'm gonna give you an example. I was bought into a case study through the wrist widget on a, a TFCC tear. That's how this all came about. She studied my testing stuff and came back to me, and we're doing a, a case study now. And what came up with a was a uh, injury that had been in uh, physical therapy for two years, and she was getting worse. And so the best doctors, the best physical therapists, the best everything. And I would not question their abilities. I mean, very credentialed, had success. But the problem is they didn't ask the right questions on the front end. They had a machine or a way of getting it. So, yeah, the Yankees are getting it, the whoever are getting it. But I know for a fact they're not managing that with the coach, the player. In our scenario, the player, the coach, and it, we're all in it. The trainer has access to that. The trainer's in it every day. We're all accountable. You know, why'd you let this person pitch if they're here? Or why did this happen? That shouldn't have happened. And the player says, well, my arm was sore before I went out there. That's on the player. But you have to create that level of accountability. And what I'll tell you it happens is these really smart guys read the data. It's dirty data. It's not accurate data. They're not, they're, they're delivering what they want and they're not interpreting what's really being told. Right. And, and knowing and understanding that each person's responding to that differently. And I'll tell you, Wayne, with females more so every issue that's causing training issues has got nothing to do with the sport. Like they, they have so many, a test, uh, a relationship issue to stress of all these other stress things. And man, these sports guys that are all jacked up on programming, they know everything, man, it's, it's 10% of that and 90% just managing life, just managing all the struggles and things that come up with the big test or homework. So if you don't have a way of integrating that into your sports training, 
the success of the, why are people getting hurt? If that technology, everything you described is so great. And I'll tell you, like there's instruments, there's devices in these top programs that are top 10, top 20. Why are these guys getting Tommy John surgery? Mm-hmm. They're not interpreting it. It's not being infiltrated from the player to the coach, to the trainer, to the nutritionist, to, uh, you know, the pitching coach. And they, they aren't on the same page with that. Yeah. I think it's partly that, uh, well, partly one in, in if you get to a top D1 college or pro, uh, you don't want to tell your coaches when you might have a little bit of pain because you're going to be losing an opportunity. So guys won't say anything. So one of the worst things you can do is pitch or, or, or hit when you're slightly injured or tired, right? So those guys aren't going to want to tell them that. And that's a problem too, right? A hundred percent. I mean, you get the nail on the head and that goes back to environment. So environmental conditions dictate and control the outcome of everything. So why, why is, you know, one team has no injuries with their pitchers. I know Justin Orndorff produced a really good list of injured pitchers per team and I'm not calling anybody out, but guys with big budgets had the most injuries and the guys with the the smallest budget had the healthiest staff. How do you do it? You create an environment where you're enabling them to do that correctly. Otherwise, that's my point, is this dictating down. I would never, I mean, I played hurt all, I would never think about, you know, going in and telling the trainer back into the day. But that's not, yeah. that's not saying that's good or you're tough or stupidity. It doesn't make any sense. These oh, guys are assets, guys, you know. But at guys, when they get up into the upper level of college like that, they're thinking, hey, I only got this one shot, this one opportunity. If they got in the pros, they also think that too. Say, so they're going to try to work through things when they should. Here, here's someone I, I recommend you talk to next, Mike Remlinger. Um, his story is incredible. He was a very accomplished big league pitcher, incredible human being. And his story to this exact point was critical. He made a decision to trust a trainer, doctor, and be open with how he felt because his velocity was down. And they did it in a way of how it was going to impact his contract and what his future was going to be. And if he wouldn't have been forthcoming with where it was to get the right things to fall in place, he would have never made it back to the big leagues, but he went, I don't know if people realize in his career, he went up and went down and was in in the low middle eighties. And then one day he popped at 92, 94, and he's 10 years back in the big leagues or whatever. The point of that was he, at that point in his career, had to trust a process and system. And he had the right guy. The story's brilliant. He had the right guy. He's like, hey, I'm here to help you. But to your point, those environments are what dictates that. So if you have a high injury rate and you're a GM of a team or a coach or player development, you're not allowing your players involvement, right? You're not allowing them to author things. You're telling them what to do. So why even ask? What use is a survey if I have to answer it a certain way? But people aren't, especially in baseball, sissies, sissies in baseball. I'll tell you, that's why I, I would not do well in professional baseball, walking, working when you can't tell what you really think or what the truth is. Because then somebody above you might not have a job next week. And so that culture, that environment is what's harboring all these injuries. And why can't you have an open conversation and say, yeah, my arm's killing me. You think pitchers throw every day? Every I've never met a pitcher where the arm doesn't hurt. But to what level does it hurt and how do we manage that and all, you know, getting together, but with agents and with dollars of contracts 
and projections and all those things, man, you say the wrong thing, that could cost you 10 million bucks, you know? And there, there's, there, I won't say that, but there's first round picks that go through a whole series, take $10 million signing bonus and they have surgery a month later. You don't think they had a problem before we went through all that? Yeah. So again, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel sorry for any of the teams that go through that. They've created it on their own. They've created that environment. Yeah. It's unfortunate. There's so many injuries, you know, now that uh, it's like an epidemic almost, you know? Well, I think it's what you identify there with the uh, number one, uh, you know, here's what they show. They don't show like uh, the most successful pitcher, Tom Needenfuhrer, right? I don't does anybody talk about him? He's the guy that threw the slowest and had the most success. I had the most win rate or whatever. And they, I saw somebody produce something on that. Why isn't there a ton of that? Because that's the majority of everybody out there. That's 98 percentile or 99 percentile is guys that don't throw 100. But you got all these people who physiologically can't trying to when they could have a lot of success just well, staying well, within I, themselves. I think, it, I, I think it's a marketing thing also is that, you know, they, they can market you know, throw harder and you're going to get a scholarship, throw harder and you're going to play in a pro ball. They don't tell them that, well, if you just throw harder, you might have played one year in college or maybe one year in the pro ball. Well, Wayne, let's, let's me and you engineer and get Scott Emerson and five people to create a series of five questions on the surveys. And ask things like, what would you rather do? So, like, and do it as a hitter and as a pitcher. And as a pitcher, it would be have a 10-win season and your velocity be 80 to 83. Have an eight-win season and it'd be 84 to 86. You know, and create some questions that tell the truth. And I think people would sacrifice wins to throw harder. They would do all these things because you could have that one out and you could throw that one pitch. You could hit that one exit velo of 100 that goes 500 feet and once you get that on tiktok or you've got it forever you can show everybody that now the hitter handicap what i do is quantify that for coaches hey, he can do that but that's going to happen one out of every 62 at bats yeah and i th think those are right. the things we they need to focus on so it'd be neat to get a survey that we would send out to 50 or 100 or a few hundred people and i'll tell you hitters they would sacrifice their average for a home run you ask me are you a home run hitter yeah i'm a home run hitter Okay, well, it takes X 90 exit velo to get it out of the park. You hit two home runs for the year. How are you a home run hitter? Because you hit a home run. You hit 230. If you would have said, no, I'm not a home run hitter, and you would be focused more on a consistent approach within your means, you may have hit 300 and your team may have won five more games. You would have been on base X number of times. So the game's not being taught that way. The old school guys understand it, and I'm not saying the new school guys don't. Well, but the, the, pro the problem is that – they, there is a baseline uh, pitching velocity that people want. Uh, there is a baseline exit below for they want for hitters. Uh, I have seen myself at a school, I won't mention, a guy who uh, for two years had the highest exit below. Uh, he was never in the lineup in the season, only in the fall because he couldn't hit. Right. When he did make contact, it was his highest exit below, but if he couldn't hit in a game, how, what good is it? And I've seen guys that are 95 to 100 uh, can't get into a game because they can't get guys out. Well, and so, again, that that's where 
the hitter handicap, the pitcher handicap, the things we've done. And we've come in in the fall, tested Division One national championship teams and used that data, using the hitter handicap to say, here's who's going to hit the most home runs, here's who's going to strike out the most, just looking at the data, never even looking at the swings. The coaches didn't even want me to look at a swing, you know, or, or watch video of them to be able to dictate. And the output is going to be, it's like Las Vegas in, in the, the numbers. And what I'll tell you is, yes, and the hitter handicap will show you how consistently can he hit that 90 or 8, 100 exit velo. And how does it recover in those things? The numbers will never lie on that. And But I would sign, and I do right now, I'll sign an athlete, never watching a video, just talking to them and knowing what's your grip strength, what's your broad jump, and then your hitter handicap. That I wouldn't even need to see them. Don't need to know anything. Those three things tell me I, I can – pretty much summarize their height and their weight, their athleticism, their power, their output, all that stuff with those numbers. And you give me X number and X number, I'd, I'd give them a full scholarship. And we're, we've done that. I mean, watch Brian and Stratton softball in Virginia Beach and look at the story we're at right now. We, we took a team that won 15 games in seven years. Last year we won 29 uh, with only a June 10th recruiting start date. This year we'll win 50. We'll play for a national championship. Never saw any of those players play in person. We use the data. We took that data and, and use it because it works. And of course, we got a coach who knows how to develop. You put them in an environment where people don't know how to develop, then it's a different scenario. But I, I just think, you know, and back to what, what you're here for and what you started, your progression is what adds value. You didn't know the sport, you're learning the sport, and you're trying to, in your engineering mind, trying to make sense of what you would be working on, you know, why. All right, where's the tool? You have this device because you wanted a way to be able to measure and quantify the ability for him to consistently move that ball from here to here and in this count do that. And you created a very valuable tool or asset because I think you represent the majority of everything that's out there. Yeah, because uh, the targets that we were using, uh, they didn't represent the strike zone. Uh, not only that, uh, he would throw them. They would last maybe a month. They get shredded. So I, early on, I had to make my own targets. <laughs> then I thought, well, if I'm making my own targets, i got to make them really durable. But let's make them so I can actually use them for working on strategy and, and hitting a spot. So it kind of all came out of uh, just naturally, you know? Yep. And I think if you back into that, if you – and I'll give you an example. If you walk in – me and you walked into the doctor's office today and where you're at in New York, I'm in Missouri right now. I don't care what doctor you walk into. They're going to weigh you, get your height. You're going to get yeah. your pulse. You're going to get your temperature. They're going to get your heart rate. They're going to check your blood pressure. And they're going to ask you four or five basic questions. So there's a process that works. They do those things because it works. If you walk into your, an academy, you that, walk into that's an academy. What hit, that's what your hitter uh, a handicap thing is about? Well, exactly. It's, it's establishing where you're at, but to your point as a pitcher or a hitter or whatever, if you don't know all those basic things, right, and the principles of that, then how are you instructing and giving them direction when, when you don't know? But it should be the same. My point is that process should be standardized. It should be agreed yeah. upon that when you walk into an academy to get a pitching lesson, a hitting whatever, that the basics of, of instructional and long-term development is to identify those key things. So if you don't know somebody's grip strength, right, you don't know the imbalance between the two, and he's there because he's pulling everything, and you're trying to get him to hit the other way. 
it, if you understand how to train cross grip, get the balance back in and know that it's, a, it's not a mechanical issue, it's a physiological issue. I mean, that tire has only got 30 pounds of pressure and this one's got 40 and I'm constantly, and I, I can't do that. What's your request? Yeah. And so general standardized testing would show you that. And everybody understands that nothing that we do or been a part of, everybody like, oh, I don't quite understand. They all get it. Okay, here's the imbalance. Dr. Jay Patel with the oh. University of South Carolina Sports Medicine. Uh, I read his dissertation uh, to get his PhD and, He's, you know, US, they're the number one sports science program in the country for like eight years running. And he told me more in an hour meeting than I've learned from experts, you know, about the pitching and, you know, how the, the cross bands in your back. So elbow issues start with the opposite hip flexor issue. And, and I've, I've used it. I've took his wisdom and in mine, learned from him. And I went out and tested and I go, man, he's right. In every case, he's right. And it's not that difficult to understand if this is the problem, you know, here's how you fix it. And there's Skip Latella, Catherine Roberts. There's professionals out there who know that, that and have great success. And, you know, big league teams use them and they understand, but they don't embrace it because they're worried about what everybody else will do. So I, I would just say, to your point, when I go to warm up, what should a, an options of war, warm ups be? How many pitches should I throw before I start? throwing full how many total pitches should i throw should i do that once a week twice a week whatever and those things need to be standardized pretty easy within a range so it's if you take an accounting approach generally accepted principles of accounting and some guy over here is saying something that's crazy different than what the gap is you probably have to you know take it for what it's worth it's non-conforming not that it's not right not that it doesn't work but it's definitely out of the scope of what the standard features are and if you got five big league pitching coaches, five big league hitting coaches, and and top D one hitting and pitching coaches, you got them all in the room. Their difference in value and opinion would be so minuscule it'd be irrelevant. They would all have the same views of this. So why don't we get that and, and uh, take those principles and create standardization for them to be able to do that and use tools like we have. Yes, the radar is good because it gives you that consistency and the duplication and things, not just, to, it's not only just to see how hard you throw. That's not the only value for it. There's tons of value for that. And here's what I'll say on, uh, and I saw something the other day about uh, Lasorda and, and Tony Gwynn and uh, Wade Boggs and George talking about, man, if, if, if Exavilo would have been around in those days, you know, those guys wouldn't be in the hall of fame, or whatever. And it's the exact opposite, you know, Tony Gwynn, and Wade Boggs or Ichiro, you don't think they could hit 110 exit Vila if they try? No, they didn't try. They they were able to command, just like you're talking about a pitching, barrel command exactly where to go, what to do with the right approach. But, you know, for a individual to say, hey, that person didn't, didn't you're right, he didn't, but he could have done that. He, just, he didn't choose not to. You know, like Ichiro could have been a 50 well, home run year guy. <laughs> Maddox, well, see, Maddox could probably have thrown a lot harder. His numbers could have been higher, but he threw less pitches and moved, focused more on moving the ball around, right? Which, obviously, there's case studies with that. Yeah, but, you know, the, the problem is that the scouts behind the, the backstop are there with radar guns. Like someone told me before, they're not back there with command guns or movement guns. They're back with command guns. So the fact that the velocity of the pitch or the exit velo of the hit 
can be measured so easily, it just makes it so anyone can hold a radar gun and show you what the number is. You know, it doesn't mean that it's going to mean anything, right? It's only part of a picture. Yeah, man, I could get really deep into that. And again, I'm not pro any type of radar, I guess, but for, and I know for a fact, this isn't oh, speculation. I think it's, I, think it's, I, I know I for think a fact a that, they're, they're, that there are uh, big league numbers that they're getting in the minor leagues and the major leagues that are inaccurate. They are manipulating those numbers because there's bad reads. What happens when you get a bad read or something happens there? What number do you put in? So why are we reviewing? I don't say we. Why do all major league teams and some of the college teams review all the reports? So it's not objective. It's still subjective. They're subjectively determining what numbers are going in that for the objective yes. data to turn out. So there's still levels of subjectivity to this. It's not Absolutely. completely objective. Yeah. So what are they chasing? They're chasing a phantom number that really doesn't mean much. Yeah, it diminishes it. It still has value to your point. But when one person can manipulate it, if I'm the scout that signed him and now I'm his pitching coach in double A, I can't be wrong. You know, I'm going to definitely, <laughs> it's just like the stopwatch. Man, on my campus, this dude was a 6'8", and he's 7'2", and he shows up at the, you know, tryout and, and run it 60. Oh, the grass was higher. It was wet. I was tired. I had a long car drive. There's a million reason why that 6'8 is now a 7'2". Um, but you know, it had a lot to do more with the guy who wanted a better time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a confirmation bias, right? Yep. Well, I was in a situation where I invested and in, I won't say lost, but I, I invest a lot of money in the top equipment out there. And then I learned that timing gates that synchronize with each other, the more timing gates you have out, the more those get all out of line. That's why NFL combines, why do scouts dictate when their players run? the 40 because of the cat and I won't use the brands and all that. The, the point is there's manipulation in all of it. And, and the top guys know how to manipulate some of those numbers with the pro agility and, and how you do that with the vertical jump, you know, there's, there's, there's different things, but uh, the important part is to, to dummy it down and standardize it. And I, I use, I'm back to the stopwatch. We use laser timing for everything. Then realize you can't retest with laser timing. Because then you get, you know, and, and the accuracy when you know how to do it. But if, if it's dad or mom or grandma or grandpa or whoever it is testing, you're going to be within a certain range. And if you know how to do a, a forensic analysis of the data, you would know that if exit, if broad jump is this and grip strength is this, and they say the exit velocity is this, I would say without ever being able to see them swing, I know that that's impossible. You cannot have this broad jump and that grip strength to dictate that exit velocity. Same thing with throwing. And if you're, if I see the throwing velocity and the exit velocity, the delta between that dictates if they're a pro prospect or D1, a D2, or a JUCO type player. That that's what dictates it. And the better players have a tighter gap; they can duplicate it more. It's not that hard. I mean, those things are simple. But you'll never get an organization or a scout, whoever, to to buy into that like they should. I think you know, um, you know, it, it's just a very hard. Uh, pill to swallow to think that can it can it mean that much performance and the way testing should be delivered and the problem with batting averages going down and all these things coming down is because the environment the environment now everybody's testing you're being tested every pitch and they shouldn't be doing that you don't you don't go to school and test every day you got to learn so testing we should do is every 90 days right you develop you work and I've been in top 
SEC schools and watch their systems. Like, man, this every swing they take, they're looking, every ball they throw, the block. You can't test like that. And there's scientific evidence about how, why not to do that in, in form of proper training. But it's, it's the ability, like you said, now everybody can get a, a stopwatch and watch a YouTube or get a radar gun. But the reality is if these, if you weren't flashing all that and they knew that, you know, three, four times a year they're getting tested, then you could get a better result and better performance out of that athlete. But when you test them every day and mentally when you fail or you do two or three things in a row, it's hard to recover from that. So the, the mental fatigue it causes by testing every day diminishes your skill set and ability to perform. Well, sometimes they use the uh, testing to be able to know, like, say, for velo or span of movement, uh, because they're working on velo span of movement. And they can use that machine testing them every day to see if they make a change as now go, you know, more movement or more speed. But and that's good. That's good to use it that way. But there are other times where you don't want to use like, for example, if you're working on command, you don't want to be measuring velo or movement then. You want the guy to focus on command. Like, so there, there's a time and place to measure, you know? Yeah, like I said, working on spin and spin rate and all that, I, I would argue and fist fight somebody over all that stuff, especially daily because, you know, an Olympic weightlifter, it takes 10 years to master an Olympic weightlifting, you know, clean and snatch. We'll, we'll just take the deadlift as the example. Okay. It takes 10 years for them to do that. So at 21, when they're stronger, right, their numbers aren't what they are at 31. What happens at 31 years old is they're trying better, right? And everything's better sequenced and whatnot. But from a test standpoint, and you look at the refinement of how deeply rooted spin rate is and the manipulation of it, and I'm trying to influence you with more spin rate, but I don't know where my grip strength is, and I don't know how to influence grip strength training. Why are you working on spin rate? Because you're yeah. gonna you're gonna impact other mechanical issues that dictate that, and that's a part of it. But it should, in my opinion, should be every quarter or here's the the start. We usually test the first day they get there, the last day of the fall, and the first day they get back um, to get an idea of what they're retaining. You know, the effective velocity. Oh, man, I topped out here where you came back at this, you know. And so, wow, what happened during that, you know, that timeline and, and whatnot. But, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it depends on whether they have to develop a skill to, to reach that goal or it's a strength issue. So, if it's a strength issue, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. They got to work on getting that strength before they come back to try to measure. If it's skill-based, I think they kind of, you have, you can measure it and see if you've mastered the skill to increase whatever it is you're trying to do, right? Exactly. Your, what we talked about earlier, it's not any one thing, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's a choice. And it's a choice in how you would train. And it's programs and environments that are created. And you know, as an example, uh, I, I deal a lot with trainers and people that train people. And as I watch and evaluate, I go, man, uh, you know, and if you ask these questions, which I've done and documented to the top strength coaches in the world, did 25 of them and, and document it, how do you value grip strength and how do you incorporate that in your program? Go ask those guys that and you will not get an answer. You will not. They will pause and then they'll, you know, it, I value it a lot and I don't influence enough. Why? What do you got? 
every one of them, the top in the world. But the issue to that is in influencing, and I had, you know, discussions about grip strength manipulation and influence. And what we, I want to be is I want to help influence development, not get the numbers afterwards and all that. How do I influence what's happening? But the world record for deadlift is 1115 pounds. Okay. If I put the two inch grip on that, right. And I ask this to everybody, how long or how much can that guy that just did 1115 pounds do? And the answer is about 400 to 450. So why is that? You know, if you're teaching pitching and you're one of these coaches, if you don't understand the principles and understand and know how that training works and how it impacts the central nervous system and neuromuscular training, then you, you haven't gotten the background to be telling somebody how to increase spin rate. You got to understand those principles and know the stress of the central nervous system and training and proprioception and all those things that Skip Latell is an expert at and these other guys who, who know that, but it's, it's not being incorporated in. And when, when you look at that as an example, and you know, here's another question. If Wayne, if I have you lift two 50 pound dumbbells, I go, Hey, Wayne, pick those up. And I want to see how long you can hold them. You pick them up, click, and you hold them both for a minute. Okay. Tomorrow we come back and with my influence, you pick up those same dumbbells, you hold it for a minute and a half. Did you get stronger? You know, ask that question and see people. And, it, and again, those are the things people need to understand about proper training. Where should, what should we be doing it? How we should be doing it? The depth, the load, the workloads. There's never enough recovery in any program. Everyone I look at, everyone I talk to, first thing I know is recovery. And I'm working with an Olympic swimmer right now. And that was the first thing that came up, swimming. Imbalance was that. He's got Olympic level people and in two minutes. We are saying, here's your imbalance. He's like, you're exactly right. Uh, just by the basic, you know, principles of that. But if, if you did that and the answer is yes, you got stronger. But it doesn't make sense. And it's neuromuscularly stronger, right? You didn't grow muscles overnight to do it, but you had better use of that. You had a better neurological cognitive approach to be able to do that. And, and those are the things we do in front of strength coaches at colleges. I show them, watch this. Here's how you do that. And it's, it's not a, uh, here's exactly what you're doing wrong, but these guys are managing a hundred athletes, four programs. They're working 18 hours a day. You're not going to get the individualized plan for that. And so, you know, the thoughts and, and it's got nothing to do with the quality. All those guys are badass, man. Anybody in Major League Baseball, professional baseball, college, in a strength level position, uh, they know, they understand, they have that thought. But they're also put in a situation where they can't give the individualized effort to development. Where they I, could. Would th I would think that would come in more actually with facilities because they've got guys coming in 30 40 guys a day doing things or more and how do you manage that i mean a, a college could have you know they got 30 40 players sometimes more but they got a little bit more staff to deal with uh i would think so a facility to, 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 that point, to, to that point so that's where our athlete management system we have and mike coots who is a baseball coach and softball coach, University of Maine. Uh, now he's at Colorado School of Mines. Uh, he's, old, he's older than Maine. He's like, man, I'm 60 years old. How do I do all this? I said, coach, we got to allow them to bring their phones. 
and use it at the beginning of practice to chart document all these things. And he did. And we're able to test and get that information every single day. And so you have to, again, create the environment where you're up on that. But as an instructor, I'll tell you right now, I can pull up right this minute and tell you every player on every one of the rosters exactly where they stand and we're influencing it. We're altering what their workload is today based upon how that responds. And we're watching things very closely with that from the mental aspect and the physical uh, aspect. So I think that that would get me a lot of business, actually. People realize it is I can do that with any college program, high school program and any uh, sports facility who's doing hitting, pitching, whatever the training is. It's you can implement it. But here's the problem that I found, Wayne. You ready? Accountability. The, the instructors well, they, gotta be honest with don't, the- they don't well no the instructors don't like the accountability they don't want to do the work it takes them honest. to go in to look at it but why would i not want to review all the eight lessons that are coming in today and know exactly where they stand and what i did with them last week etc because it it's it takes work to do that you know and they're they're not disciplined to do it they're not structured to be able to do that in an environment that produces that well, I, I know a lot of good ones that, you know, they, they really want their players to get better and, and succeed. So they, they probably would. Yeah. The ones, that, the ones that are only in it to make money, they wouldn't do it. You know? Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, and I'm, again, down the middle with this answer, but um, when you prioritize making money over, is my client benefiting? That's a problem. It yeah, should be, and if you do it right, I prove what I'm doing. I can show you right now, and you can look at parents, and I can pull up here's where he came the day he first came in. We video it. We got pictures of it. We test it. We retest it and show you the exact growth and development of every player I, I work with, and that's the key. And I, we don't have the same success with every single player because there's so many variables. Um, so you got to create that accountability to be able to get that to the point, and it's a two-way street. I do a better job with a better athlete who's working harder. I don't do quite as good a job with a lesser athlete who doesn't put in the work, you know, so, and all those things are tangible. So you just got to create that environment uh, to create, let's say a performance of the instructor. What is your, who is the best pitching coach in your facility and why? Oh, because Johnny came in and he was throwing 60 and now he's throwing 80. Well, he was five foot two. Now he's six foot two. And there's, there's natural progression, right? There's two miles an hour. If the kid's throwing 82 at, at uh, 10th grade, he's going to throw 86. So these guys say, oh, Johnny came in at 82. He's throwing 86. You did nothing to influence that. He would have done that sitting at home on the sofa eating Doritos. That's going to happen naturally right. based upon the natural trend. Now, if he's still a 92, then maybe you did. But you didn't go from 82 to 92. You went from really 86 to 92. So I added six miles an hour, maybe with this special uh, velocity program, you know? Yeah. So uh, what are you doing with your tech village over there? Uh, You were talking about it. I've got multiple people coming in this week. Uh, I've got about 20 people involved. I've got Dr. Joe Shattuck and the Panther Tech Cat, which is a neuromuscular kinesthetic awareness training device, which gives a vibration of proper mechanics so you can program something as simple as hey Wayne do 10 squats well are you doing them right I leave the room did you do those 10 right and then you went home for a week and came back are you executing the correct mechanics so it will measure those and say if you did it right but it gives affirmation via stimulation of the central nervous system with the vibration when either you successfully got to a certain spot or you missed a certain spot right 
Um, so, you know, the caught stealing pop timer, um, Latella neuromuscular training system. Um, yeah, I talked to uh, Todd Blylevin with the Scout Hub. We have our PPN and the athlete management system. Um, talked to multiple people. And these are all, you know, the, the latest and the greatest that are interested in coming in here because the idea is if we have all that here and, and you're, you have a great product, bring it to an area where we can nourish it and test it and train it and help you implement it, right? And we're trying to be Switzerland here at Ballparks of America. If you've got a great product that can help people, let's bring it in. We just got a commitment from a very large uh, physical therapy group who's going to build out or take a 15,000 square foot space here. We have 400,000 square feet left under wow. roof right now that we can add whatever you want, whatever your thing is. And I'm hearing from things and I'm learning a ton from these devices and whatnot. So that's going to be good. But then we, I think we have to all work together uh, to collectively marry, marry devices that can help like yours married with this can get this and this and that. And if Todd by 11 scout hubs better than my part in this area, then use, use his, but let's, let's get a pricing model that works. Let's be open-ended about the values of what we're doing. Let's create a marketing department that we're all marketing together. Like I'll go, I'll figure out on my own while I'm there. If, if, if the, you know, the command trackers, what we say it is, I'll review it, get 10 people to review it and get my opinion. And I, they don't have to have mine, but we'll get opinions of people. And then, but what I want to do is I think we can show how it impacts the development. That's what we're going to be able to do. Here's how the command tracker. And again, he used this, he came in on this day and here's what those numbers were at 90 days. We had this at 120 days, we did this. And here's exactly what he did during those hundred and why that came. So he did a mm -hmm. bullpen once a week, or this one did it twice a week. He warmed up with an average of 15 pitches. He threw a 25 pitch bullpen. Here's what we focused on week one. Here's what we focused on week two, et cetera. And uh, kind of learn what the recipe is. It'll always be refining and getting better and better and better at it. Right. But um, I think we have such a large number of people coming through here. You know, we have 500 teams a week. Uh, I mean, 40 teams a week, 500 kids a week coming through here that we can continue to refine, you know, a, a process that, wow. and they're That's on campus. A lot of players. The whole week. And they're on campus the whole week, you know, during wow. this, our, our 12 premium events. So, um, how do we incorporate that while they're still playing and while they're still vacationing and, and all that's secondary, but you know, where we're at with uh, coaches clinics, the ABCA and all these things, everybody's set up showing their stuff, but how does it work? How do you integrate it? Can, let's get players right now and let me fire that up and show me how you did that. How, how do you use your product? Like Wayne, you said, uh, and you gave me the other guy in New Jersey, he may be the best at explaining and using and implementing his facility. Angel Lugo in Fishkill, New York's incredible. He does a USA baseball there. I value him more than anybody on data, data collection, understand. He really understands it. And he's got every tool. He knows every tool out there. And so we have to get people like that involved to influence what the proper development is. And Major League Baseball, the you know, collegiate baseball and all that, you have to kick down the walls. And I'd say where we're at uh, in influencing, the value is where you're making the best influences, nine through twelve. And uh, mm -hmm. that's where they're the most moldable, where you can make the biggest influence. It's hard to impact change for 17, 18, 19 year olds. It takes a long yeah, time. Kind of it's minimal and, and, and it changes. 
then you're spending all those times, you know, fixing bad habits. So uh, yeah. I'm just, you know, from esports, talked to a large group, largest group in the country today about, you know, bringing esports here. So, you know, we, and what I, my view of that is, and they have, have nobody's doing this, how are we developing esports players? Gamer, you can get college scholarships in esports. Our, our school, Brian and Stratton in Virginia Beach, has won a national championship in e games. You can get a college scholarship for that. <laughs> well, who's helping them learn how to play, learn how to prepare, learn how to, you know. So oh, they do that. They, they, you have to pry them away from the video games. <laughs> yeah, but there's no, it's all self-taught type stuff. There's no professional. Oh, they have no their friends and they watch their friends and they watch. Uh, some guys have a channel just on YouTube of how to play the game. And they watch how they did it. And uh I wound up uh, selling one target to, I told you, uh, Total Arm Care in, in New Jersey. And I get along really good with the owner of that, uh, Tom Drown. And his friend was a guy named Henry uh, Warner, who started uh, Play Nine Sports. And uh, he wanted to see if he can represent, you know, selling the target. I said, sure. So he's taking the target uh, to NFCA. Uh, I think it's December 5th. And also to ABCA in January. So people will be able to go there. And I know you got a booth at ABCA. You can walk down the hallway and go bang yep. on the target and see how it works. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be at the one in Connecticut, too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I said I, I, I'm excited because I can host here. We could have 500 coaches or 500 of these inventors of you here at the oh, same time on could, site, on campus could. to do that. And that, we, we have that in the works. So we're. We're planning that, and you can stay here. We got feed here, stay here, learn here. Uh, I mean, just I want to accomplish big things um, and really influence development. And I, I want, I know you do. I know Dr. Tom Hansen does. I know Skip Latella does. Joe Shattuck. Uh, all these people want to do that, and we just have to, you know, put the wagon, hook it up together, and all pull it in the same direction instead of all these different things going on out there how do how do you you know what what software programs do college programs buy or how do you do that They're, the better aligned we are from amateur to high school to collegiate to pro level the better it's going to be for everybody well i'll tell you when i made my first uh version of pitch grader for uh using track man data i only made it because uh i wanted dbu to have a program to be able to use their track man data after a while teams started using it then i started getting pro teams using it but i never advertised i didn't know how you advertise it, it basically went by people using it and telling their other coach friends how it was good and that's how it sold uh and with my command tracker same kind of thing it really it can't be advertised it's really something if people use it they tell their friend i used it and it was good so that's why I like your approach because I think with uh, the other guys going to your tech village it should work pretty good because as people use it and, and realize the product is good, it'll grow. Right. And it's like clustering, you know, you the McDonald's and the Hardee's and the Burger Kings and all those are around each other because they draw interest in there and specificity. Yeah. So um, you go to Silicon Valley for, you know, software development or whatnot. Uh, if you're making an investment into a startup or if you are a startup or thinking about it, why not maybe team up or merge with current people who are two, three years down the road 
in that and buy them, merge with them, uh, whatever, to advance things versus trying to recreate a, you know, uh, a mousetrap that you don't really necessarily need to do that with. So um, every, everything's driven by the dollar, obviously, but working smart, we can all have dollars. We can keep things affordable, um, make sure money's going truly into development uh, and quantifying the results of that development. So, um, you know, if, if we have that team type of approach, I think a lot can come out of that. Yeah, and just like with the pitch grader, the more teams used it, the more I got feedback to know how to, to change and develop it. And with a command tracker, as teams started using it and then facilities, uh, I got good feedback and made some adjustments to uh, it made the target better as well. Because like you were saying before, if you use it in a lab, it works great. Well, you got to get it out there in the field, let some people tear on it, right? Yeah. Well, like I asked you about the corners and you had told me the material that went into that you learn because balls are going to get cut up. And you, the problems I had with solo throw when I did that, I mean, I, that's tearing balls up. You'd already, you already had the solution for that. Oh yeah. So, At first I had, I used rubber strips and then it kind of worked, but after like a few hundred hits, the rubber strips would get marred and they would come off. So then I went out and got a uh, horse mat, the horse mat material. And that stuff is tough. And so now the bumpers are made out of horse mat material. And those are hard to make, those strips, because that material is so tough. Or hard to cut. But, but it holds up. The other thing was uh, the front of the target. The first way I had was holding the Lexan in, uh, after a few hundred hits, it was making cracks at the corners. Then I made that frame design that you see on it now. And now you can hit it. I got one target hit over 4,500 times and there's no cracks, nothing. But that came about from actually using it in the field, you know? Right. Uh, yep. Another funny one was the first version I had my son throw to it. And it, as soon as he hit the target with the ball, the target went off. Like, what's going on? Maybe the loose wire? Well, I had a little toggle switch in the back, so you could just turn the target on and off. Well, those mechanical switches, when you hit a vibration, they reset. So I had to get rid of switches because you can't use a switch in a in a machine right. like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, like I'm looking at Matt's uh, pop timer and realize that he actually physically went in and soldered the pieces. And, man, you guys – deserve all the kudos in the world that ain't easy and very difficult and you, to get to the level y'all are at to produce something that works seamlessly and you can use in training and stuff is amazing that's a you know like with your product with the uh, athlete uh, management system you know you had an idea and it's an incredible amount of work to actually make that a product that you can sell right yeah it's yeah. <laughs> i know it's, it's a, a lot of work life changing event, like a 12-year life-changing event not a yeah, but I I know the work that goes into something like that. It's a lot more than – and part of the art, too, is uh, make it look simple. So when I've done a really good product, someone will look at it and say, hey, that's really simple, and that's good. I want it to be simple for them. They don't have to know all the complex things that were done underneath it. Like in your software, I'm sure there's immense complex things going on underneath, but to the user – they never have to see that because you've done a good job, right? Yeah, and that's where we fail. You know, you, you're the failure part 
for me, uh, I'll say Todd Blylevin and guys that have incredible products is it's so robust. So many things going on. We've done a poor job. Other companies have done a better job of simple. You know, here's 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 a platform for five bucks a player. You can do this. It's an Excel spreadsheet, but they got colleges and high schools and people like that paying them money for a spreadsheet. And it doesn't do all these other things. Well, the problem is yeah, even with my pitch grader, uh, someone might see another program that may show something similar. The problem is when a coach starts digging into details, they soon find out there's nothing under the surface. There's no onions to, to layers to peel. Uh, when you go into pitch grader and you dive in, the deeper you dive, the more you can find. So there's depth to the software. Like with your software, I'm sure that is that depth where it's not just a spreadsheet. You right. actually can go further, you know? Yep. And like with Command Tracker, one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is that it does have a user manual. Uh, even when people first use it, most of them don't ever have to look at the user, user manual. And to me, I think it, as in software, if we've done our job, they can just use it without having to read a manual, you know? Yeah. Amazing what eight-year-old, nine-year-old kids can do now. They can. I mean, we test, I can test 200 people in two hours and have all their information in our system, actionable, sort all the way into the profile. It's amazing. And we got eight-year-old kids that test, they get and they put input all the numbers. We can QC it and validate everything in in two-hour period, 200 people. So you know, awesome. could have, couldn't have done that years ago. You didn't have the technology or the processes to be able to do that. And I mean, the key to that is uh, back to, uh, too much technology, you can't do it. It takes longer for, for things to take place and got to travel. It's too expensive. You you price your way. I mean, like a force plate. I love force plates. They're awesome. But I got a $10 analog scale I can accomplish the exact same thing with. And you more user friendly, right? And I don't have to go to a lab to do it. Or, you know, there. so there's, there's different things. The level one, level two testing, you know, the labs. There's no labs making money because you can't get people to a lab, right? And training and testing in a lab is a lot different than testing in the environment they're in. There's a ton more yeah, value well, of testing on the field or in on the court or wherever you are versus going to a lab and, and doing that. But yeah, well, um, you got a guys training on their own or high school or a junior college. They don't have a budget. You know, they need to find ways to be able to do the same kind of things with right. the, on their own. Now, what do they go to? Test and train sports? Uh, test and train sports.com. Yep. And uh, you know, a little bit about that. Uh, Starsandstripesports.com is uh, what I started out to. I was doing all this, and then people thought I was just coaching. We have teams. Uh, we've traveled the world playing. I've had over 25,000 players play in Stars and Stripes, and that's how wow. I met a lot of these people. Um, but people didn't understand testing in Stars and Stripes, so I created Test and Train Sports. And people started wow. understanding that, okay, now right. we're doing, you test and train. So that's, that's where that comes from. And um, oh, I you know, ultimately with uh, what we're doing here at Ballparks of America and Show Me Baseball is a, you know, collaborative effort. I mean, right now I'm trying to get teams to come to Ballparks of America and play. And once you put your feet on the ground here, it's, it's unbelievable. It's uh, an amazing then, place they got set up there yeah and, and long term you know they the ownership's incredible they're behind the, the method 
uh, the message. It's really the only privately owned, you know, offering out there that's not influenced by just money. We got to make money, but we're giving so much value to these people, uh, to our customers, to these teams, to the families, with so many other considerations in there. It's it's phenomenal. And so, you know, you know, my goal is to show coaches how they can be a part of this. Uh, why, where would you want to go play? Play somewhere where you come into here, and then you can also become a better coach. You can learn more about your product and how to use that. You can learn more about the pop timer. You can learn more about uh, the kinesthetic awareness training device. You can learn more about Kinetrax. You can learn more about all these tools. So I'm going to go play there because I have a week to learn and meet the owners of these companies and talk to Wayne. And I want to know this story, you know, and how, how I got a kid who's nine and I want to, yeah. So those, that's the environment we're trying to create here and we're doing it, you know, for a purpose as a destination. And fortunately we're in a, a city uh, and we're in an area. I mean, our, our parking lot joins whitewater rafting and we got the, the tracks and we got the Ferris wheel and we got Dolly Parton stampede and Ripley, believe it or not, and Wonderworks and the best lakes and mountains and caves and caverns and all here. Um, so oh. the more people we talk to, the, the more interest is happening. So anybody interested in, you know, you know, being a part and, and of the team. And this is a, this is this name. We're want to be the sports village because it takes a village. It's not about ballparks. We're, we're facilitating the growth and development of this, right? Um, it's, it's, it sounds it's like a lot of people that. would like to go there for like a vacation too, right? hundred percent. It's one of the top destinations in the country outside of what we're doing. So I think of the 20, 20th top destination in the United States right now. Really? Wow. Uh, on its own. So, I mean, it's, it's got every amenity that you would want. Um, and we have good partners. We have good partnerships in the city and the county and all the vendors and everybody's aligned. It's a very service oriented, no crime. Uh, it's just an incredible spot to be. Cool. Hey, uh, at the end of the show, I always uh, show a list of nine of the things that I think a pitcher ought to have. And everybody always would want to pick all nine because that's what you want. But what I always try to find out is what are the top four? So I'm going to show you a list on screen and I'm going to read it. And if you'd please uh, tell me what the top four qualities you would like to see in a picture. Okay. And, and so those are uh, character, command, changing speeds, movement, max velocity, sequencing, reading batters, mental toughness, and know who you are. Yep. So top four for me would be, is this an order one through four? No, I just, but it's just I the just, top four. All right. So command. Oh, well, yeah. What's, yeah, what's I'd your say command one? is number one. Command would be right. my number one. And then I would say changing speeds would be my number two. And then I would say movement would be number three. And then I would say uh, sequencing would be number four. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You did that pretty quick. I think the only one that was a little faster was uh, my son out of 25 episodes. He just rattled off just kind of kind of like you did, too. It's kind of like I think you, you, you know exactly what you want, right? Yep. Hey, well, well Kelly, thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I, I really was looking forward to this episode because it kind of covered things that we haven't covered in other episodes. 
Yeah, I, I get excited. Sorry, I get, you know, really passionate about it and, and deeply rooted. And I haven't done a lot of these on purpose before, but I started last year, you know, being more open with all the data and information and things well, that, we got. That's why so, I wanted to be on the show, because when I talked to you, we had such a great conversation. Yes, sir. Well, appreciate it. Appreciate your efforts. I've watched, you know, most all the pods, Cash, you've put out there as well and had some good people. So I, I would recommend Mike Rimlinger for your next one. I think he could give you a lot of okay. uh, valuable information for people. Hey, hook me up. You know, that's right. that's how the show has grown because as people come on, they've recommended. I, I could give you I could give you 10 people right now. Uh, Mike Rimlinger, Jeff Juden, Ray Burris. And I give you, I think, people that would really – uh, give you feedback, Angel Lugo, some really good, you know, uh, influence where people would be interested in and, and gain a lot of value from it. Awesome. Hey, hey, text me later. All right. All right. Sounds good. Hey, thanks, Kelly. Thanks all for right. coming on. Yeah, I appreciate right. it. Don't forget to hit subscribe to get notified when new episodes are released. Pitching Command Show, brought to you by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Visit commandtracker.com.